ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Nightlife. News breakdown. Well, on Saturday fortnight, residents of the Bayside electorate of Dunkley in uh, Melbourne will head to the polls for a by-election caused by the death of Labor MP Peter Murphy. Now, she was well-liked and respected, but by-elections often become protest votes against an incumbent government, and so the result is very much in play. While the Prime Minister will, will be very much preoccupied with campaigning, no doubt he did find some time yesterday to take care of other business matters of the heart on Valentine's Day, revealing big personal news that um, was communicated by posting a picture of himself with partner Jodie Hayden with a simple caption, she said yes, followed by a love heart emoji. They're getting married in case you haven't caught up with it. Well, joining us again for tonight's Nightlife News Breakdown is the tender-hearted romantic Michael Pascoe, the New Daily's contributing editor and author of The Summertime of Our Dreams. Now, don't get all cynical on me, Michael. Good evening. Welcome back to Nightlife. Good evening, Philip. Look, you're the only one who's ever noticed what a softy I am. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, cynics are very unfairly saying that the Prime Minister might have timed this happy news ahead of the Dunkley by-election, and indeed the marriage ceremony being forecast for some time during the forthcoming federal election. That is, that is, that is dreadful surmising, is it not? That is awfully cynical. Um, it's, it's a little bit of a cliche doing it on Valentine's Day, but I suppose whatever works for a happy couple. Exactly. Um, I have noticed. I have noticed Peter Dutton, you know, saying he's looking forward to our very own royal wedding. I'm I'm wondering if if Kyle Sandilands will be invited, returning the favour. Um, oh, all sorts of, of possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Lots of lots of meat for the tabloids to run from here to eternity, or the date of the wedding yet to be set. Yes, exactly. I mean, I, I can see a a wedding uh, a wedding parade fronted by the Rabbitohs uh, for, 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 for a star. <laughs> Indeed, maybe that's where the wedding should take place. The yes, South Sydney is it, Oval. Is it, too, is it is it too late to get to Las Vegas where the Rabbitohs are kicking off the season shortly? I think um, so. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. look, good luck to both of them. It's uh, uh, As plenty of people have observed today, weddings are great news and always great to attend. So uh, all the best to the happy couple. You Indeed, the, I mean it's a tough. Yeah, go on. It's a tough job. It's a tough job. So uh, every domestic happiness um, should be wished. Indeed, indeed. Just back on the Dunkley by-election, uh, you've read, and I, I, as I have, as have I, former Liberal staffer Nikki Sarver's piece in the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age today. She's a former coalition staffer, as we know, long-time advisor to Peter Costello, but has got a pretty sharp eye. Um, on on political matters. Do you think she's right in saying there's a lot at stake for both leaders in the Dunkley by-election? Because after all, Labor holds this by more than 6% and you'd think they should be all right. What do you think? Uh, yes and no. And certainly Nikki Sabah's piece was an eye-opener. As, as she said, quote, ignore the spin and the dampening of expectations in the lead-up to the March 2 by-election. Dutton not only should win it, he has to win it. Mm. And that is a very pointed remark. And while you say, oh, look, they had a margin of 6.3, she also points out that the average swing over 40 years against governments at by-elections and seats they hold happens to be 6.3%. Not only that, 
the ABC's very own Anthony Green says that at eight by-elections in Labor seats during Labor governments, the average swing was actually 8.2%. So, yes, there is a lot of stake, and both sides have been very busily sort of saying, oh, it's a by-election, it doesn't matter, until the result comes in, and then both sides will try to read something into it. But I think when Nikki Sauter is saying Dutton has to win, um, that is extremely pointed. Mm. Uh, you could also say that Anthony Albanese has to win um, as well. Mm. Yeah, the expectation always is that governments don't win, and governments, uh, sitting governments don't win by elections, isn't it? But still, uh, it's the sort of seat the uh, and you know the outer suburban seats uh, style of seat which uh, many think if Mr Dutton's strategy to abandon the, the teal held seats. Uh, means that he has to win these kinds of seats, and maybe that's behind the thinking behind Miss Savas' piece. That's that is exactly what she's saying, and it is a mixed seat. I mean, it includes well-heeled areas as well as the outer suburban, um, middle Australia areas. Certainly, the change to the stage three tax cuts have made Labor's lot a lot easier because the way they were looking without that change was not nearly as rosy. Um, and, of course, one doesn't need to be cynical to wonder about the timing of the announcement. Mm. Yep. All right. Unemployment figures, labour force figures for January reveal, revealed today show the unemployment rate's grown to 4.1%, 22,000 extra people unemployed, 500 jobs created in January. The Federal Treasurer, however, was sanguine about this, pointing out that the unemployment rate remains low by historical standards, despite it lifting above 4% for the first time in two years. And, of course... He claims that data is consistent with government expectations. The five-year average before COVID was about 5.5% for the unemployment rate. We're now at 4.1%. So what we're seeing in these figures is that the labour market continues to soften in expected ways. Well, Michael, this is exactly what the Reserve Bank's trying to achieve, though, aren't they? They're trying to drive up unemployment in order to do something about inflation. So they would, in fact, be welcoming these figures, wouldn't they? Look, they would be, but they also wouldn't be game to say that they no. would be. Uh, <laughs> no. there's, there's, well, look, there's two things. This, but one is, okay, yes, the figure is 4.1%, but it is in January, and the Australian Bureau of Statistics itself was hosing it down a bit today in the fine print. It was pointing out that in this January, there are a lot of people who are technically unemployed but are expecting to start a job in the next month. So there's every chance that it will be back under 4% maybe um, next month. So the ABS was hosing it down a bit. But the fascinating thing about the Reserve Bank and full employment, whatever that is, is that last week Governor Michelle Bullock admitted that they don't know what full employment is. Mm. And they won't know it what it is until it's probably been passed going in the wrong direction. There was actually a little fine print in that fascinating document that I'm sure you read every every quarter, the Statement on Monetary Policy, where the econocrats actually said it is possible that we're already at full employment. Mm. Possible but not probable because we have changed. I mean, COVID changed the workforce, changed work practices, and so no one actually knows what the unemployment rate 
should ideally be without causing inflation. And the reality is that, okay, it's lower than what it was historically in recent history, but we don't have wages going through the roof. The Reserve Bank and the Treasury say the wage rises we've been having on average are in keeping with what they want inflation to be. So it's, it is a fascinating grey area. It is a test of policy, both from a government point of view and a, and a Reserve Bank point of view. At their conservative hearts, yeah, they want unemployment to be higher to make sure inflation is under control, but they don't know and mm. they've admitted it. Yes, exactly. Where do you think we are in relation to that question of inflation and therefore interest rates? Uh, it's heading in the right direction, as the Reserve Bank likes to say. I thought at the time that the November interest rate increase was a mistake. With all the benefit of hindsight, I think it's been proven to have been unnecessary. Michelle Bullock was specifically asked that. Was that November rise a mistake? And she said no. As far as what they knew at the time, it arguably wasn't a mistake because they got a surprise CPI rise. Everything since then has been saying um, you probably didn't need that because what everyone misses, and again, this is admitted in the fine print, that even though the cash rate was kept steady at this month's meeting and will be kept steady for the next couple of months at least, the impact of interest rates is still increasing. And this again was spelled out, spelled out in the fine, the fine print that at the moment, interest rates are absorbing about 7% of household disposable income in this country. And the Reserve Bank thinks that's going to rise to 8% this year. So that is actually a 14% increase on the impact on households of interest rates without putting up the cash rate because the impact is still flowing through. And we have unemployment rising. Um, we have retail sales that are pretty dodgy, except in some lucky, com lucky companies that have been doing well. Um, we have all the signs saying it's heading in the right direction. We don't need to squeeze anymore. But we are, in fact, still being squeezed. Mm. Yep. All right. Speaking of those feeling the cost of living crisis, not federal public servants in the education department, it might seem. Uh, well, at least for some anyway. They've been holding meetings, not in a departmental me meeting room with tea, coffee and a packet of assorted cream biscuits, but rather at fine dining establishments, costing taxpayers uh, a pretty penny. Among the expenditures revealed... Uh, are more than $1,500 at, at Met Saluna Restaurant in Sydney, uh, $3,000 at Mabu Mabu in Melbourne, and uh, $1,200 at Courgette Restaurant in Canberra. That's a pricey place too. Uh, Michael, it's all right for some, I guess, is it? <laughs> oh, it's not a good look, and it certainly embarrassed the government, and the government was very quick to hose it all down and say the Education Department will, of course, in future be uh, well-behaved and only be allowed to, I think, have a cost of $77 a head, which is in keeping with tax department things. This was this was brought out uh, in estimates with great fanfare by Senator Sarah Henderson. Um, I, I did have a little look at Senator Henderson's register of interest. I, I noticed she has three properties, yeah. including a residence in Canberra, where under existing rules, um, she can stay there when she's uh, there during on parliamentary business 
and get a tax-free daily allowance of $310 a day for staying in our own place. So, yeah, look, you know, some education a department well bureaucrats. Made. A point well um, made. Politicians getting headlines. Yeah, look, it keeps happening. Mm. I, a point well made indeed. Politicians' entitlements are exactly uh, well in the excess of, I think, most in the public service. Uh, another story we've been bubbling along this week, Defence Force Recruitment. The top brass in the ADF acknowledge it's a problem. It is. Uh, we, we can't actually staff our Defence Forces. We are under strength. Uh, the ADF says maybe 7%. Not insignificant, is it? Not insignificant. It's a major problem. It's not just us. It's pretty much the developed world. When you have unemployment low, it's harder to recruit people to go into the defence forces. Mm. One of it, it also fits in with something. I um, I'll, I'll leave the person anonymous, but a, a very senior conservative figure of recent decades told me a while ago that. The whole nuclear submarine thing is a bit of a nonsense because we will never have Australians silly enough to want to sign up and serve in one. Um, And so one of the interesting proposals from the Defence Force is to look at uh, allowing non-Australians to come and serve on the promise of getting citizenship. Now, they don't use the words mercenaries. But I'm I'm wondering what the difference is. Um, if you if you're hiring someone from another country to come and serve in your army, your navy, your air force, uh, isn't that hiring mercenaries? And and certainly there must be opportunities. If you wanted to be absolutely outrageous, you could say. Well, look, those Russian mercenaries, the Wagner Group, they've probably got a few people available. And and the Americans use Blackwater mercenaries all the time. They don't call them mercenaries, of course, but uh, there is something wrong, uh, maybe. Look, I'm not comfortable with it. I don't have an answer, but I'm not comfortable. Yes, well, the Collins-class submarines, which the uh, AUKUS proposal is to, is to uh, the way our new nuclear-powered submarines are supposed to replace, of course, could never be put to sea in their entirety, partly because of maintenance, but also because they couldn't be staffed. I mean, there weren't enough, exactly. crew, there weren't enough crew for them. So it, uh, it's, it's a big issue. All right, look... It, um, it always has been. Yeah, exactly. All right, look, um, just before we go, the topic of Julian Assange. It's a long-running concern for the government, the plight of the whistleblower Julian Assange. The Prime Minister says Parliament is supporting a motion urging the United States and the UK to allow him to return to Australia. That's the right thing to do. He's facing a final appeal in the UK courts against a a US extradition request uh, this and next week where he's wanted on espionage charges. Prime Minister Albanese says it's appropriate uh, for Australia to express its strong desire for the matter to be concluded. People will have a range of views about Mr Assange's conduct and you and I mightn't agree, frankly, on uh, the nature of that conduct. But regardless of where people stand, uh, this thing cannot just go on and on and on indefinitely. Well, that may well be true. Um, Michael, it looks like matters might be coming to a head. If he loses his current appeal in the UK, that means that he's exhausted all avenues of appeal in the UK and he's off to, to, uh, to, to face incarceration and charges in America. Do you think something might happen before then? 
I'm personally encouraged by the fact that the government voted for this motion brought by Andrew Wilkie in federal parliament. Um, given the relationship the Australian government enjoys and likes to enjoy with the American government, I think it might have been embarrassing for the Australian government to have supported that motion unless they thought there was going to be a positive outcome from the motion. Uh, I don't know anything, but that's the way I'm reading it. It would be unlike the Australian government, the way it does kowtow to the Americans pretty much and everything, to stick such a major a major flag in the sand there mm. if if they thought they were going to lose. It would be very embarrassing and it, and it would become a diplomatic strain on relationships. That Those weasel words of, of uh, you know, we, we want it brought to a conclusion that has been the official wording by Albanese and Penny Wong ever since they've been in government, you know, being brought to a conclusion. What does that mean? Take him out and shoot him? Well, that'll bring it to a conclusion. And that is not what Australia wants. Uh, the people, there are lots of people in Parliament, as has been said, who are not fans of Julian Assange, but still think it's wrong, still mm. think he should be allowed to come home, that uh, him being dragged off to the United States to face highly dubious charges that, uh, and, you know, speaking as a journalist, um, what he did was publish information that embarrassed the US government. Uh, someone should not be locked up forever, which is what he's facing, for doing that. Mm. Michael Pascoe, good to talk. Thank you. Philip, my pleasure. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife. 